Father, we want to thank you for this time where we can come before you and look at your word. I pray that as we look at your word tonight, that we'll find it to be encouraging, that we'll find it to be convicting, uh, that we'll see that uh, our position in you and our condition in you uh, are so important to understand so we can be all that you've created us to be as your children. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here that uh, for some reason maybe has their heart closed off to you right now, that Lord, that they would just give you permission, that they would give your Holy Spirit permission right now to just say, God, I want you to come and speak to me. I, I don't know exactly maybe what I'm supposed to hear tonight, but I want you to speak to me. And Father, we thank you so much that your Spirit is, knows us so well and is connected to you, our Heavenly Father, that your spirit can just speak just the right words to us, Father. I might say one thing, but Lord, your spirit takes that and goes into the deep recesses of our heart to make us the, the men, the women, the children that you desire us to be for you. And so we thank you, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so tonight uh, we're going to talk about a couple of different things. Uh, one of those things is, is who we are in Christ and what does it look like uh, to be a child of God? <clears throat> and so the title of this teaching is, Are You Approved? Are You Approved? Uh, or it might be, once you understand what, when I talk about the toothbrush, the, the alternate byline could be, what are you doing with your toothbrush? And that'll make more sense when we get to the toothbrush part of the teaching. Okay? And so if you go ahead and uh, if you're there in Second Timothy chapter 2, before we start reading uh, the word, I want to, I've had some slides prepared for tonight. If uh, we can put the first slide up on uh, just what we are, our position as a believer. Oh, here we go. All right. So one thing that I really want to, to get across to you tonight to really open up your hearts and minds to is what does it mean? What, what does my relationship with the Lord look like from two perspectives? One perspective is, what is my position in Christ? Or this idea of positional holiness, because we know that the Bible teaches that those of us that are found in Christ have a relationship with Christ. Christ can't have a relationship with things that are unholy, and so there's a holiness to us. But sometimes we always don't feel holy because of the things that we do. And so when we get into that part, that's, we're going to be talking about this idea of the condition of the believer or conditional holiness. So the first thing that we're going to look at is the position of the believer or positional holiness. And this is the relationship that we have with Christ because of, and this is important, what he has done for us through the work of Jesus Christ's redemptive action on the cross. This is who we are because of what Christ has done for us. So if you can put the next slide up. Let's look at the, some of the characteristics of, of what it looks like with our position in Christ. Okay, well, first of all, we're born in this position when we accept Christ as our Savior. So just as I was born into my family, and everything that I received because I'm a Patterson, the same thing happens when, we're, when we accept Christ. We're born into that relationship. I didn't do anything to deserve to be, uh, you know, to be a part of the Patterson family. My mom and dad were responsible for that, and they brought me into this world. And there's nothing, that's completely outside of my control. I can't do anything about 
who I am as far as what family I'm with. And in the same way, you don't have anything to say when it comes to that position. Once you've accepted Christ, you're born into that family, okay? So the next point, our, one of, another characteristic of our position in Christ is it is holy and eternal. It's, excuse me, it is holy and eternally established. Or in other words, it's immutable or unchangeable. Christ declares that we are holy because of our position in Christ. And again, there's nothing that we can do to change that. That's set forever, and it's set by God the Father. Uh, we're not going to turn to Ephesians 1.4, but that's a great verse to memorize. But that's where we get that truth in Scripture. The next point, it gives God great pleasure to be in that position of holiness with us. That next verse in Ephesians chapter uh, 1 talks about how it gives God good pleasure. You know, the idea that comes to my mind when I think about that is when I'm giving my children gifts at Christmas time or for their birthday, I don't give them gifts because they deserve it. I give them gifts because it brings them pleasure and it brings me great pleasure to give them that gift. So that position of holiness that we get from God the Father, it gives him great pleasure to give us that position. The next point, our position is the source of our Christian life. Our position in Christ is the source of our Christian walk with God. And that's something that we need to really keep in mind because Oftentimes, we don't feel very holy, but the Bible says that God has proclaimed you as holy when you're his son or you're his daughter, okay? That's the source. The next point, you have been placed in this position regardless of your awareness of it. You might be like, I didn't even know that. It's like, dude, you got it. Have you ever been a member of something and you find out later that there was some benefit that you received from it? It was like, I didn't even know that that I could get that, right? That's awesome. I'm going to ask for that more now. When I go into the store, I'm going to ask for this discount because I didn't know that one applied to me, but now I'm going to take full advantage of it, and I'm probably going to come back more often, right? This position that you have in Christ, you may be totally clueless until this time tonight, but guys, that's so awesome because once you're aware of it, you can start taking advantage of that position in Christ, Okay? And then finally, and this is so, so important, that our identity and value should always be based on our position in Christ. Because there's times we don't feel like being his child, but there might be times that I might not be feel, feel like being my dad's child or my mom's child for some reason. But and if I ever went up to someone and said, you know, I just don't really feel like a Patterson today. I mean, it's laughable, right? It's like, well, tough, you're a Patterson. I don't really feel like I'm holy today. Well, tough, positionally, you're holy, all right? Live, deal with it, right? It's like that's a fact that we want to deal with. That's a, that's a fact of our life that if we really lived in that position, it could change everything about how we act and what we do. So our identity and value should always be based in our position. So that's the, that's the element of our relationship with Christ that has to do with position. Okay, now let's talk about this idea of condition. What is the condition of the believer or or conditionally or practically am I holy, okay? So, what the, so the condition of the believer is what we do. So not what God has done for us, but what we do in response to God to develop our Christian walk or to develop our spiritual maturity. It's what we are becoming because of our response to what God is calling us to do, right? 
So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but do you always respond well when God asks you to do something? I don't. And so therefore, sometimes we don't feel very holy because our condition right now isn't very holy. We've just messed up. We've sinned. We've made a mistake. It could be a big one. It could be a little one. But nonetheless, we've made this mistake and we don't feel very holy. Well, let's look at the, char- the characteristics of our condition in Christ. First, first idea, our condition is determined by our obedience to Christ and is exercised through faith. Okay? So our condition is determined by our obedience to Christ and is exercised through faith. So our condition is dependent upon our obedience and whether we're exercising our faith in Christ, right? Now, you guys might look at this body and think, man, he's got it going on. But guys, I go to the gym, okay? <laughs> I exer- What are you laughing for? I exercise my body. You may look, really? You really exercise? I really exercise my body. Right, But I can't take full advantage of what my body has to offer me if I don't eat well, if I don't exercise. But the potential for doing things is there. It's the same thing. God says, I have put you in the position to be holy. Do you want to cooperate with me and be in the condition of being holy so I can use you? Okay. Next point, our position will affect our condition. And what I mean by that is if we live in a reality to know that we're positionally holy and that never changes, that will affect our condition because we'll start to live differently if we have that belief. However, our condition, our conditional holiness, how we're feeling, what we're thinking about ourselves should never affect our position, right? Because we didn't get ourselves in that position in the first place. All we did was to say, God, would you please save me? I'm a sinner. I know that you're the only way to eternal life. And he says, Now I've given you the position. There's nothing that can revoke that. Matt, sometimes you're not going to feel like you're holy, but it doesn't matter. Positionally, you're holy. So our condition should never affect our position, okay? Now, our condition is variable, meaning if our condition is based upon our response to Christ and our obedience to live in him, then sometimes we're going to live for Christ and sometimes we're not, and we're kind of going like this. It's variable, but our but our position in Christ is immutable. It's unchangeable. Never changes. That's a huge difference to understand. Next point, our condition is highly influenced by our feelings and what we think about ourselves. And I think you could all say a big amen to that, right? Our condition largely can be determined like, I don't really feel very close to God right now. So my condition with God is like, it's way down here. But, but this, is, this is the problem. If, if you get nothing else from this teaching, like take this one to the bank, is how you think about yourself should never affect your identity or value in Christ. Right? If you were kind of maybe, maybe you, you worked for this big corporation, right? And you had someone in the cube next to you and you were kind of more peers and you know, they were saying, Matt, man, you really did a, did a great job, you know, on that project there. It's like, hey, thanks. But now what if, like, the CEO of the organization, this worldwide organization, I got recognition from that person and said, Matt, you did a great job. I would be like, are you kidding? Like, you're going to take time to say that to me, right? I mean, my, my thought of what that CEO would kind of think of me would be like, this is awesome. This is awesome. And that analogy compares in, pales in comparison 
to what Christ thinks about you. But the creator of the universe, when you entered in relationship with him, says, you're my son, you're my daughter, you're holy. There's nothing you can do to earn my favor. You've already gotten it. But you know what? Right, right now you fell into sin and you're not feeling very holy. And Matt, you're getting messed up in your thinking to think that what you just done just did for some reason makes your value go down like this. It's like, absolutely not. Because God's value and our identity was always in our position. I will always be the son of, my dad's name is Jack. I'll always be the son of Jack Patterson. There's nothing that can be done to remove that, even if I'm a bad kid. But I, I've, I never was a bad kid. But if that, you know, hypothetically speaking, were to have happened, right? You know, some of you have adopted children, right? And in that adoption process, you don't say, okay, new son, new daughter, we've adopted you right now, but a year from now, we're going to have a performance review on this whole son-daughter thing, and we're going to see if you can still be a part of the family, right? Again, that's laughable, but we think that sometimes, even though God has adopted us as his children. So I, I, I want you to keep this idea in mind, because as we go through this scripture in 2 Timothy, I'm going to be referring back to it, all right? So positional holiness, conditional holiness. <clears throat> all right. So let's look and start in verse 15. It says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay, so here it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Well, wait a second, Matt. Aren't I already approved by God? Absolutely. So this is not talking about our position in Christ. This is talking about our condition in Christ. This is talking about, I am calling you to do something so you can be ready to be of use and of service by me. Do you want to show yourself ready to be used in that way? And I hope all of our answer would be like, yeah, I want to be used in that way. Okay. And how do we get to this place of showing ourselves approved according to this verse? It says, well, by rightly dividing the word of truth. So understand what the scripture says and know it well enough to be able to show others what the, what the Bible says if they should come to ask you about it or if you should come to see that the Holy Spirit's leading you in some way to share this new truth with somebody. Be in a place where you can know my word, rightly divide the truth, and point them in that direction. And guys, if we are always in that state, do we have anything to be ashamed of? Absolutely not. And the scripture says we don't need to be ashamed when we're in that place. Verse 16, it says, But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. If you take notes, or if you like to make little notes in your Bible, where you see that word, uh, so, but shun for profane and idle babblings, for they will increase, you might want to just put the word lead. They will increase or lead to more ungodliness. It will lead you to a place. It won't just stop there. In fact, not only will it stop there, but it will spread like cancer. When we get involved in things where we're kind of talking about things that aren't true, 
it's, it's almost like, um, you know, we had a fire out kind of between Falcon and in the Springs yesterday. And uh, I was actually wanting to kind of take a better look of it this morning to see kind of where it went. But so I saw this smoke, you know, coming up uh, from the house yesterday. And I was like, man, I better keep an eye on this in case we need to evacuate or something. But it didn't take much for that fire to start. I mean, it's just a little spark. And I don't know exactly what happened. And man, that thing took off. And we've known a lot of people in our lives, or we've known some people in our lives that may have had cancer. And that cancer comes in, and it may start very small, but if not taken care of, I mean, it just spreads. And there's nothing that we can do to stop that. And the Bible is telling us when we start to participate in these things that are ungodly, when we start to have these profane, the profane things coming out of our mouth, meaning like what you're saying is really not right, or idle, meaning I'm not really even trying to do anything that's, that's wrong here, but I just kind of keep talking and talking, and pretty soon I kind of start to sin. The Bible tells us that a multitude of words leads to sin, right? So sometimes we're just kind of uh, babbling idly, and they take us to that place of ungodliness. And then we have two fellows in the Scripture that are actually called out for doing something uh, like this. What they did was... They were involved in a teaching that was false, where they said, um, they say that the resurrection has already passed. Now, they're not referring to the resurrection of Christ because, well, that had already passed. So what resurrection are they referring to? Well, they were referring to the resurrection that the Bible talks about that in the future, in the days to come, there's going to be a bodily resurrection that takes place of believers, and they were saying, nope, that's already happened, or no, that's not, that's not going to take place. And they were teaching this, and people were listening to it, and they were turning from the truth of the Scripture. And Paul saw this, and he, he took uh, Hymenaeus anyway. It doesn't say if Philetus was involved too. But he took Hymenaeus, and it talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 1, and he threw him out of the fellowship. Because Paul realized this is a cancer, and this cancer needs to stop. We need to, we need to protect the body of Christ and make sure that the body of Christ is set up in a way that it can really flourish. Now, those of you may not have known uh, my family when one of my children had cancer. And so Ryan, who's 14 years uh, old now, when he was around 14 months old, uh, he was diagnosed with cancer. And I mean, that just, I mean, turned our world around. And I remember being in this place of um, having just appointment of, after appointment with the doctors. And the more frequently they were wanting to make these appointments, the more serious I was realizing uh, where, the, you know, how serious the cancer was. And so uh, we went to all the appointments <clears throat> and they set up a surgery to, to have the cancer removed. And praise God, they got it all. And I remember that when the biopsy came back, they said that the margins around his liver are so clear that we don't even need to do any sort of chemotherapy on him. But as a result of getting rid of that cancer, our family has had the privilege of having our son another 13 years of life now and to see what God has done in his life these last 13 years. And the Bible's telling us the same way. He's saying, church, be careful of what you're saying be careful of the things that are coming out of your mouth because I want to see you flourish for years and years to come. 
And I don't want to have to cut you off because you're teaching things that aren't right. Because God's church is a holy institution. We're not a perfect institution, but this is the institution that he uses to spread the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. And we don't want to look like just the, like the rest of the world. We want to be different. And so this is why there's such a um, kind of an urgency to make sure that those things are taken care of. Let's look at verse 19. He says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Nevertheless, what that kind of tells me is even though there's these false teachings that are going on in the church, he says, nevertheless, and this is where we have hope, he says, the solid foundation of God stands. There's nothing that that can be done. The Bible says it's going to bring down the church. He says the gates of hell cannot stand against the church, right? And so we have that promise that we know that the church is going to be here until, until God comes back. And if you've ever seen those buildings that have a cornerstone, they're usually older buildings, and it'll say like the year that the, uh, you know, that the building was built. You know, that's to convey to us not only, and it's etched in the stone, so there's this idea of permanence in it. This is what this scripture, this uh, verse is trying to convey when it says having this seal or having this engraved inscription that says, the Lord knows who are his just as your parents, just as my parents know who I am, just as I'll always know who my three children are, God knows who you are if you're in him. And he's not going to forget that you're his son. He's not going to forget that you're his daughter. And that's where that position comes into place that we were talking about. Do I feel like a son or daughter right now? Maybe I do, maybe I don't. But positionally, he knows who you are. He's never going to forget that. I mean, that's, that's a real sense of encouragement. I mean, if we could walk around with some, I don't know, tattoo on our body. I guess we all could get tattoos. I don't know. But it says, you know, the Lord knows who are his, and I'm one of those guys, you know, just to kind of always remind us. This is what he wants us to kind of be at the forefront of our minds. I know who you are. So that great, that great position in Christ. But then we also see... That he's, talk, that he's calling us to a conditional holiness in the second half of that scripture where he says, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So although we can't remove ourselves from the holiness of Christ, we can put ourselves in a position practically to be in a place that is not holy, that's full of sin. And God realizes this. He says, even though you'll always be my son and daughter, I'm going to call you to remove yourself from sin if you name my name. If you call yourself a child of God, I'm calling you to depart from the things that are sinful. Now, does this mean that God never expects us to sin? Well, obviously not. Because all throughout the Old Testament... They couldn't get their act together. And if we all lived then, we couldn't get our act together to be holy enough to be able to earn the righteousness, to be in relationship with God. So says, God God says, I'm just going to take care of this, guys, and I'm just going to send my son to die for you, right? That's like the best exchange ever, right? I'm going to give you everything about me that's bad. And God says, I'll take it and have my son 
my son's blood cover it, and I'll give you everything that's good. Does that sound like a good deal? Oh, yeah, right? We got this thing in the mail the other day that says, you, <laughs> my, I saw it, and it's like, I'm just throwing that away, and my son's like, can I open it up and see what it says? I'm like, sure. They, have, they even have this like special glow-in-the-dark thing to like get your attention, and you're supposed to see if the numbers match up, and so I, I don't even know if the numbers matched up, but I asked my son, name the list of things uh, that I've possibly won. And so he says, a new car, and he's kind of going down the list, uh, and everything sounded pretty good. I said, what does the last thing say? It says, oh, an all-expense trip paid to whatever. It's like, throw it away. Because I, I know that there's some catch to it. They're going to want me to attend some seminar or something like that, right? But guys, this is the real deal, right? There isn't like, I'll take away all your sins or I'll let you go to the Bahamas for two weeks. Which one do you want, <laughs> right? He just says, no, I'll just give you the best prize ever. And would you like to, would you like to uh, accept my blood atonement for my son for that? Does that sound good? Yeah. How about, are you willing to commit all your ways to me? Well, that's where some people are like, I'm not sure about this. But those of us that have realized the great deal we're getting, we're like, yeah. And then he gives all that to us, guys. So because he's given this to us, why is he saying depart from iniquity if we have that holiness with us? And why is he saying depart from iniquity? And, and sometimes we'll think, man, if I make one mistake, then I've lost it. Well, kind of think about this idea here with me. When I was younger, uh, in high school, I, w- I, I was on the football team. So I tried out for football, and, you know, I made the team. I went to the practices. You know, they gave me a jersey, and I'd wear the jersey on the game days, you know, to school and the pep rallies and all that kind of stuff. So when people looked at me, they would say, I've seen him on the field. He wears a jersey. Uh, I see him at practice. This is legit. He's, he's a football player. Now, if I were to come up to you and you knew me in my high school days and I said I was a basketball player, you would say, no, you're not. Because I was horrible. I tried and tried. I could just never get it. Um, and sometimes I would actually play, play basketball because I would be in a certain situation where my friends were. And they were like, hey, we're missing a guy. We know you're not very good, but would you still come and play with us? Because at least we'll have some kind of game going. That's like, sure. You know, so I would play. I would, so it almost kind of like just happened to fall into a game in a sense, right? All the circumstances were there, uh, and it's, uh, you know, I'll go ahead and do this. But I was by no means that. When it says to depart from iniquity, what it's telling us is God understands. Sometimes I know you're going to fall into sin. You're not going to premeditate it. You're not going to practice it. You're not going to be like uh, overly like intentional, premeditated sort of thing. He says, I understand that. I need you to depart from that iniquity. But those of us that claim the name of Christ and we are practicing iniquity, like we are, pre- we are planning to do it, we're making it a lifestyle. We're known by those things that we're doing. People are telling us to stop doing it. Those of you that, if you're in that position, you need to be concerned. Because it's not, it's not my place to judge your heart. But God says, I know those that, that if you want to call me by my name, uh, don't regard iniquity in your heart. Don't practice it. We need to stay away from it. So that's the idea. Sometimes we're going to fall into it. That doesn't justify it or make it right. But we're not going to plan to be a part of that. So let's look at verse 20. 
It says, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Now, I want to read that to you in the New Living Translation. It says, In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Positionally, God says, this is, this is my example. This is the most holy vessel I have in my house, so hopefully it will suffice. Um, this is an unholy vessel, and if you get confused, I wrote unholy vessel right here. Okay? But God's telling us, you have vessels like this in your home. Some are for honorable use, okay? In fact, this vessel is so honorable, I, I received it um, the day after we got married because it was a present. I was asking my wife, what is, where did we get this, right? So she's telling me. But I, this hasn't even touched my lips. I don't think I've even drank out of this in the past 22 years. That's how holy this is, okay? Now, this one here... Um, Let's just say this has been defiled, okay? There are things that that cup has gone through that I can't even mention in this church service, okay? But it's been through some bad stuff. It's, it's had a rough life, okay? This guy right here, okay? And so God says, positionally, you're like this, and you will never be like this positionally. But positionally, you're like this, and I want to use you for things that you would expect to use with a vessel like this. Okay, but you can get yourself in a place, Matt, where you're like this, okay? And I want to use you like this, but I can't because you're being unholy, right? Now, some of you, I told my wife I was going to do that, like, don't freak out. I don't want to get in trouble. But some of you saw me throw that. It's like, oh, I haven't seen a pastor. Don't tell Eric what I did. I don't know if there's a rule for that. But, I, but you know, I throw that, and it's like, oh, that's kind of weird. He threw something off. But then I did that, and she's like, <gasps> Some of us who we have called on the name of Christ, and people know us to be like this, and not like this. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, putting anyone down because sometimes condition. I mean, I'm like this sometimes, right? But when I went to throw this and you kind of gasped, sometimes we see other believers or we ourselves find, our, we find ourselves in a position where we're doing unholy things and people are like, what is he doing? I, I thought he was a believer, What? Matt, you, you, I know you're a believer. Why are you doing this? And it's just like, it takes our breath away. It has an effect on the body of Christ. You know, not only do we feel like this down here, 
But other people are like, I, I was looking to you for encouragement. I mean, my hope's in Christ, but the Bible says we're supposed to stir each other up to love and to good works, and I'm expecting to be stirred in that way. And not only are you not stirring me in that way, but I don't know if I can go to you because you're, you're doing something that is so just unholy. You know, I would put like chemicals to spray on the weeds in this cup to maybe mix it. I would, I would never do that in this cup. But sometimes we're doing that. Kind of another example is one of these toothbrushes I've brushed my teeth with and one of them I've used to clean the grout with. And I can't remember which one is which. <laughs> you know, you'd think I'd be smart enough to maybe, you know, get a brown one for the grout and the white one for my teeth. So should I just take a guess and hope I guess right? I mean, how many of you would do that? Right? I mean, but yet we're putting unholy things in our body and sometimes we don't give it a second thought. Right? I mean, what's more important? To maybe accidentally put a grout stained toothbrush in my mouth and wash it out? I mean, what's, what's worse? Is it that or is it to look at things I shouldn't be looking at? Or to be listening to things I shouldn't be looking at? You know, if, if we're a holy vessel made by God, by the way, these are free for whoever would like them after the service. <laughs> But if, if we're a holy vessel for God, we should kind of be like this city that has fortified walls around it. And there's these gates where we're, where we're paying attention of who's coming through the gate and, you know, keeping the evil people out and letting the good people in. So that kind of taking that same idea, we should be viewing our eyes as what's going through our eye gate? What's going through our ear gate? You know, what are we doing with our hands? Are we bringing glory to God? And I don't say that to beat you guys up. I say it because, guys, you are in a position of undefiled holiness. You are like this, and this is how the master wants to use you. Do you want to be used by, like this? I mean, my answer is yes. And there's times I've made mistakes where sometimes it's like, am I going to get disqualified here for what I've done? I don't want to get disqualified. I want to be used by God for these, for these awesome things that he has in store for me. So what sort of things can we do to be always in this condition or to be as close to this condition as best we know how? Well, let's look at verse 22. It says, Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. So we flee youthful lusts. You know, and this, is, this doesn't just have a sexual connotation with it. I mean, it can be anything that has to do with some sort of lust that's going to take us to a place where we don't want to be. It says to avoid those things, to flee, to run away from those things. But on the contrary, we should be pursuing righteousness. We should be pursuing faith, pursuing love, pursuing peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. 
In other words, to pursue these things with those people who say, I want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, that's not to say that we don't also do those uh, to those who don't want to have a relationship. I mean, the scripture is, is uh, replete with examples of, of, uh, of what we need to do uh, to a believer and an unbeliever. But here it's talking about those who are calling out to the Lord with a pure heart, those that want to be close to the Lord, pursue these sorts of things with them, but also to avoid the foolish and ignorant disputes because we know that those things, all they do is they generate strife. You know, this kind of should lead us to ask the question, you know, before I, I, earlier in our text, I said, when you see this word, put the word lead, okay? And the reason why is because I want us to really closely examine some of the things that we are doing because everything that we are doing is going to lead us to somewhere else, okay? The things that we do, by and large, are not neutral, Uh, They're not innocuous. There's going to be a consequence to what we're doing. So what are we doing and where are those things leading us? Okay? So this is where you just have to kind of go before the Lord with your heart and take an inventory of some of those things that you're doing. Are you going to places that you know are not going to lead you uh, to where God wants you to be? Sometimes it's easy for us to claim Religious liberty and freedom. I have the freedom to do this and this and this and this. And there's nothing in the Bible that says that it's wrong for me to go to, let's just say, for instance, a bar, right? Like if I saw, if I saw someone in a bar, I wouldn't just assume, oh, they're a sinner. That's not my place, place to judge. But if I am in that place, what is that going to lead me to? Is it wise for me to be in that place? You know, if I'm going to church, what is that going to lead me to? I mean, I hope all of you here can say, that's going to lead me to be in a better walk in my relationship with God because I'm learning his word, I'm in fellowship with other believers, I'm worshiping uh, the name of Christ. Now, just because you're in here doesn't make you a Christian, right? Um, I mean, if I go stay in my garage all night, that doesn't make me a car or something, right? (laughs) So just because you're in here doesn't make you automatically, oh, everything's great. I mean, you could still be really kicking the goads, kicking against the cattle prods of what God's wanting to do in your heart. But, but if I'm here, where is that generally going to lead me? Okay, if I'm with my friends, where is that going to lead me? If I'm with my girlfriend, where is that going to lead me? If I'm with my boyfriend, where is that going to lead me? If I go live, if I want to go live with my boyfriend or girlfriend, where is that going to lead me? What am I going to be known by? Well, you know, Christians shouldn't judge. They shouldn't judge me if I'm going to do that. Well, the question shouldn't be how far can we get from God and still be a Christian. The question should be how close when we get to, how close can we get to God so we can be used for his holy purposes. So many times a question gets asked, well, is it okay for me to do such and such and still be a Christian? I mean, my, my response to you is, are you trying to find out where the line is? I mean, if, I don't know if you can see this, but there's a tape, piece of tape right here. And let's say Jesus is way over there, and then once you cross this line, you're not in relationship. Do you want to be going this way to say, oh, see, I'm like... 
or you want to go running this way to the person that says, you want to delight yourself in me? Then, brother, I'll give you the desires of your heart. And I'm over here. Is this where you want to be? Or do you want to go live over there? Do you want to go live in the pig slop of humanity by being far from me because it's, you think it's going to be great for you? Or do you want to be close with me knowing that I'm smarter than you, that I love you, that I know everything about you and I want to take care of you? Do you want to be over there? This is what these scriptures are telling us. Verse 24, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in, in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. So here we see a characteristic of a servant of God. So if you want to be over here and draw yourself close to, to the Lord, he's saying, I want you to not quarrel. You may know the truth. You may be talking with someone and know what they're saying is false. But are you going to be gentle to them? Or are you just going to tell them that, hey, you're wrong and you're going to hell? Right? I mean, what, what, what's that about? I mean, yeah, there's the truth that someone might not know Christ as their Savior. And sometimes it's, it's, you know, they need to be aware of that. But here it says we need to be gentle we need to be able to teach. We need to be patient. We need to have a sense of humility when we're correcting those who are in, op I mean, outright opposition to the Lord. We need to be gentle to them, to teach them, to have a humility about us. Guys, because it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It's the truth of God wrapped in kindness that leads us to repentance. In verse 26, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Guys, Satan is subtle. He's like the best con artist ever, right? He's ripping you off, and you're gladly giving it over to him because you think you're going to get what he promised you. And I can guarantee you that you're not going to get what he's promising you. You're going to get, all you're going to get is heartbreak. You're going to get destruction. You're going to get death. You're going to get your family torn apart. You're going to, you're going to get yourself isolated. You're going to be miserable. All because you were chasing after this thing. And Satan said, come over here. I got something for you. And we're like, man, that looks pretty good. Satan has never tempted me with broccoli, Okay. <laughs> But right now, there's a bag of chocolate chip cookies in the staff office next to the microwave if Pastor Bob hasn't eaten them all. And they're there. And I'm tempted, man. But if that thing had a package of, you know, like it was in this awesome package and it had the picture of broccoli. Like these are Pepperidge Farm cookies, by the way. And they have these funky names like Milano. Or I can't even remember what this thing's called. But... You can give broccoli the slickest name, and it's like, I don't care. I know what it is. It's a vile weed created by God. No, it's, broccoli's awesome, but I just hate it. So. But, but see, Satan's not going to do that. He knows what is going to tempt you, and he's going to use that to lure you in. And then when he has you, he's going to jerk that hook back, and you're caught. Guys, there are people that God's putting into our lives to show love to, to be gentle to, to be humil uh, humble towards, to teach, 
so that we can save them from that because right now they're taken captive. Sometimes we ourselves get taken captive, don't we? And aren't we grateful when somebody tells us the truth? I had a guy, one of the things I do at the church is IT stuff, and I was talking with this developer a couple weeks ago, and he was running some ideas by me, and I was kind of like, his name's John. I'm like, John, like what? I'm just thinking this, like what's so special about me that you're running these ideas by me because I don't, even, I don't even know you that well. So I'm not saying that. This is what I'm thinking. And I don't say this to pat myself on the back. I just say it because people want this, okay? He says, Matt, do you know why I run that, ran those ideas by you? I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> he says, I ran those by you because in the past you've told me the truth about something that I was doing, and I really appreciated it. Because I'll tell some people this, and they'll be like, dude, that's awesome, And then I'll come back later after I've developed something. And they're like, yeah, I don't really, like, care for that. Well, why didn't you tell me? So I don't want to hurt your feelings, you know. It's like, well, thanks for nothing. Right? There are people that want to hear the truth. And when they see it in love and gentleness and humility, it's really going to be attractive to them. So as we conclude, what are some things that to really kind of take home here? Because we've covered a lot of stuff. Well, number one. Take time to understand and meditate on your position in Christ. That first kind of definition and bullet point of lists that we had up. Take time to meditate on that, okay? Take time to focus on that because when it comes to your value, when it comes to your identity, this is where we should be living, okay? And we are so tempted to live in our condition. We're so tempted to live in our condition. Are we mindful of our condition? Condition, absolutely, the Bible tells us to be. But our value and identity does not go towards our condition, right? In fact, like a very simple thing that you can do is to memorize Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. It's about three to four sentences. And I tell you, if you live in that reality, it will just blow your mind. The second thing, if you take the name of Christ, are you departing from iniquity? If you take the name of Christ, in other words, are you practicing things that you know you shouldn't be practicing? Are you finding yourself in sin by circumstances that come your way, or are you actually practicing it? And if you're doing those things, you know, God says turn from those, and I can guarantee you your life's going to be way better than it is now. And then finally, if you've ever identified yourself with Christ and you've accepted his forgiveness or excuse me, if you've ever identified yourself with Christ and accepted his uh, forgiveness, do you want to be positionally holy tonight? So if this is something you've never done before, if you're like, I don't understand what it means about this child of God stuff, I don't understand what it means about giving your life to Christ, but man, this positional holiness, uh, that sounds pretty good to me, all right? So for you out there, this is what God says for you. God says, As I alluded to earlier, I have the best exchange program ever, right? Like I heard this comedian one time, Jim Gaffigan, he says, best recycling program ever, I give a pig an apple and I get bacon back. (laughs) This is even better than that, okay? Best exchange ever. He says, come to me and understand. Now, this is with sincerity of heart. We just don't do it to get something. This is with sincerity of heart. But he says, 
if you want to accept what my son has done on the cross to cover all of your sins, because that's the only way you can be righteous. If you're, if you're up for that, and secondly, if you want to do your best to follow me when you know that my word is telling you something to do, I'm not asking to be perfect, but if you want to do your best to follow me, those are the two conditions that you need to commit to, and he says, I will make you positionally holy. So let's pray. So Father, as we just kind of let these words kind of just come and enter our minds and come and enter our hearts, we want to, wherever we fit, whether we're doing our best and we know that we're, we're um, by and large, doing really well to, to be in that condition that you want us to be in, I pray for those people that you would just confirm that within their hearts. Lord, that they wouldn't live in condemnation because they're making a mistake, but they would know their position in Christ. Lord, I pray for those who are in a place of like, I know my position in Christ, but man, have I really been messing up in my condition. I've been making some really bad choices. I've been practicing things I shouldn't be practicing. Father, I pray that you would convict and encourage them to show them what you want them to put off and what you want them to put on. And finally, Lord, I pray for those that are here tonight that have never made that decision for you. And God, I want to pray for those right now that if you're in that place, you say, I want to accept Christ's forgiveness of my sin. I want to do my best to follow him. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. Just raise it up. Anyone else? Raise them high so I can see you. So, Father, you can put your hands down. Father, you see these hands that have been raised. And, Father, it is your good pleasure, just as I give my kids gifts at Christmas time, it is your good pleasure to give them that gift of salvation right now. And so, God, I pray that you would just, um, Lord, help these folks mean this prayer from their heart. So if you've raised your hand, just pray in your heart. God, I want you to forgive me of my sins. I realize that your son, Jesus Christ, paid for all of my sins and died for me on the cross. And Lord, I ask your spirit to come within me to enable me to live a life that brings glory to you. And so we thank you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.